Hello, I'm Aaron Ibanez. And I'm Rowan Henborn. And you're listening to Making Waves. Let's drop in and enjoy your weekly dose of stories from the sea. We miss you, Ibo. Miss being in the studio. <laughs> I know it's a lonely place. Ground control yeah. to Major Row. <laughs> Maybe I am in the space station and you just don't even know. I'm not. <laughs> Don't powers of technology, hate. Hello, recording in the virtual world. Indeed we are. From isolation. <laughs> Who would have thought? So much can change in the space of two weeks since our last episode. The world's been turned upside down. Literally, I mean, you know, when have we actually had the opportunity to say that and, and it be real? Everything has changed. It's crazy. And it's almost like this Orwellian term has sort of arrived in all of our lives, known as social distancing and self-isolation. It's 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 so strange that perhaps in an, in an, in another couple of weeks, this is going to be the social norm for for everyone. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? And um, I do worry a little bit about the isolation. You know, if you're fortunate enough to be around loved ones, and you know, it's a really great chance to spend more time with them and reflect and um, enjoy their company and enjoy your own company but if you are on your own then um, I think it must be a really challenging time and I'm just sending out a lot of love to those people and you know things will change and get better so our thoughts are going out to you. Absolutely and I mean you mentioned the key word there which is reflect and I also think during this time everything slowed down in some instances things have completely ground to a halt Um, and what I love, I know this is a, a pandemic that, that's threatening the very well-being of, of people in our community, some of the most vulnerable in our community, but what I love is what's happening is the focus has come away from this idea of growing the economy and going to work and making money to let's look out for each other and make sure my neighbours got enough in the pantry to, to last them the weekend and, and whatever else. And I know there's been some silly instances of toilet roll and, and whatever else but um, <laughs> I, I just love how the focus has shifted on a community level. Yeah I think there's a lot of opportunity and um, you know th- this whole thing has shown us that the thing that we were all so busy um, you know almost too busy to actually reflect on how we treat the planet and we treat each other we we're all a bit too busy because we we're trying to maintain this thing that's proven itself um to, to not work, to not be sustainable, you know, we've literally been living on a knife edge for the last few decades and, and this shows how we have to create a, a more resilient system that can't just be focused on money. So I think f- for me in terms of like the chance for people to care a bit more about the environment or, you know, there is no business as usual now, that's, that's over. So we have the opportunity to decide how we want to do things going forward, you know, what we want to hold dear what we want to maintain and keep in our lives and actually what we don't and what doesn't serve us anymore and I think that for me is a really exciting opportunity that's come out of this and um yeah so hopefully hopefully that comes from it yeah this is affecting millions of people around the world and as you say going back to the the focus of of today's episode is is really reflection and let's understand what's 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 most valuable to us in our lives and I think another word that sort of springs to mind as well looking at the way that the the way that the air travel is effectively grounded to a halt and 
you know, flights are grounded. And I think we're all going through that grounded period now. Um, and we're seeing the implications of a world that is, has slowed down. Um, and we're seeing an emissions drop, um, which is pretty important. But whether we can use that this this time of reflection and introspection to like as you say take forward and, and see what world we want after all this i think for a long time we thought that we were living this life of convenience and you know the kind of repercussions of that have been um our disposable lifestyle um you know waste and not having time to make more sustainable ethical choices but actually having that time to ground yourself and reflect kind of shows like, well, for me, it's definitely showing, well, was that, co was that convenient? <laughs> was it convenient that I was so busy that I couldn't um, take the time to sit down and have a coffee in a, in a cafe? Or, it, you know, was it truly convenient that I was so busy that I couldn't possibly, you know, sit down and appreciate and do something mindfully that I had to be rushing and, you know, we, we, put, we put so much... Um, I don't know, we we put so much, I can't think of the word, I was trying to think of it the other day, like success, or we, we really value people being so busy and so stressed that they don't have time to think or do anything, and maybe this is a perfect opportunity to think, to realise that actually maybe more of a convenient lifestyle would be slowing down and being a little bit more mindful and reflective, and it, it will be better for ourselves and better for the planet. Um, Absolutely, and so during all of this, lots of people are now working from home, um, or are in self-isolation. The, the message across Britain, at least, and I guess m many countries now, is to is to stay at home. And the mantra is pretty much stay at home, save lives. Have you been working at home? Have you been, or have you been twiddling your thumbs? I mean, what, what have you uh, what have you been up to? But yeah, I've been working from home, and um, I think it takes a little bit of getting used to. And and also, I guess, I mean, I work. It, doing environmental projects and trying to do community awareness about environmental projects and that kind of does seem a little um unimportant right now and that's not to say it is unimportant but obviously there's much more important things taking precedent um so I guess it's it's just kind of trying to navigate through that um and and making sure you're doing something that's worthwhile but you know the fact is that life does go on and will go on and this, there will be an end to this and at that point is the perfect time to maybe introduce um, more environmentally friendly ways of living and, and doing things as we start fresh. Um, but also you'll be very happy to know that I've been doing some research for the podcast as well. The show <laughs> some, must go some on. Some light research. The show must go on and you know I was conscious I want to keep it light and fun. Um, yeah. yeah. So I have done that for the podcast this week. So, um, do share. What is um? Do what share. Have you got? So it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. This week, um, I was trying to choose a particular theme, uh, and I and I was kind of going the isolation theme, but then that didn't really work. So I've gone for a an array of of marine stories that um, kind of relate to the situation we find ourselves in now. So the first one is um, probably on the isolation theme um, and that is a little story about the parrotfish. Um, and the parrotfish actually isolates himself. So in the day he'll swim around the reef um, in his beautiful, colourful ways, um, 
living the dream. And then when it comes to nighttime, um, to protect and isolate himself, he actually blows a bubble of snot um, <laughs> out of his nose, so big around him that he's in this little isolated bubble and then no other predators that are sort of awake at night on the reef can smell or find him so I don't know I I mean I'm not sat here covered in my own snot but it just made me feel it kind of thought it was kind of related to the the situation we find ourselves in now sort of isolated in our own bubbles snot or not <laughs> snot or not indeed yeah, yeah. So that's a... <laughs> snot is optional <laughs> and what, what yeah. what's the other one um Okay. So, I see, sorry, I, I know. We're, we're, um... Just for everyone listening, I'm in the I'm in the studio up at Manx Radio, and uh, Rowan's at home, and she's not here, so it's really strange. I feel like I'm shouting as if you're way, way far away. <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll try and turn I it down. I am way, way far away. <laughs> I'm at least I'm at least seven miles away. <laughs> um, okay, so second one, because we have a bit of a space theme today, um, I thought I'd have a look into whether any like marine animals have gone to space because I know there was like the dog and was it an orangutan or a chimpanzee that's gone to space um and I actually found something that's kind of made me go wow oh my goodness there might be life on the moon now (laughs) so um have you ever heard of a tardigrade I can't say I have so tardigrades are they're like these tiny microscopic I guess they're like a, I think they're like an anthropod, which is kind of like an insect or a crustacean, um, and they're nicknamed either water bears or moss piglets, which I absolutely love, um, <laughs> and they are found all over the world in every sort of habitat. Um, you know, they've also they've been found in like sulfuric acid ponds and in the deep ocean and. Um, so they're pretty much indestructible, which is pretty amazing. And they've they've gone out to space before, um, and been found to to be able to live in a vacuum in a vacuum of space, pretty much. Um, so I was having a little research, and I found out that they they now think that they might be thousands of tardigrades on the moon, because um, an Isra- Israeli probe sent up these tardigrades to I guess see what happened to them went to space. Um, and it crashed into the surface of the moon. So actually <laughs> looking up at the moon, it might actually be colonised with um, tiny little moss piglets. <laughs> not what the, <laughs> not, not what the sci-fi writers had in mind, was it? <laughs> well, I, I like it. <laughs> it's a softer, a softer sci-fi. <laughs> and then um, last but not least, um, I just was kind of reflecting on how this is quite a stressful time. And, um, you know, for me, my stress relief is is going in the sea. And, you know, there's a lot of science behind that of cold water submersion. Um, but actually, um, you can get that same sort of stress relief and anxiety relief at home. Um, so all humans... Um, like all other vertebrates, have this thing called the mammalian diving reflex. Um, and basically, if you put your face in cold water, whether you're sort of um, submerge your face slightly in a, in, a, in water in the sink or you have a quick blast of cold water, um, that mammalian dive reflex kicks in um, and actually it, it slows down your heart rate um, and it puts more blood to your heart and... Um, 
your brain and and it does a huge amount to like calm any stress and anxiety so it's not as silly as the other ones but I just think in a time where everything seems a bit stressful and anxious and we're all housebound that might be um, a really nice way for people to sort of relax and and chill a little bit and maybe create that space for a reflection that we're that you know we all have the potential to have in this situation and so without further ado it's an extra special episode really today um and i'm gutted i wasn't involved in the conversation but i think it's brilliant enough with with you guys you've got a lovely rapport can you tee up nicole and your conversation with with nicole yeah so i had the joy of speaking to nicole nicole stott who um is an astronaut that has spent over a third of a year in in space in the international space station um and she's originally from florida but her her husband is manx um and she actually got in touch with me about a year ago because she saw um well she'd been following along with expedition and um yeah and we kind of met up and sort of bonded over those straight two strange experiences and I mean hers is obviously going to space (laughs) Um, but she's just an amazing woman and I find her incredibly inspiring and we had a really lovely chat about uh, reflection and I mean she's spent time isolated away from society in space and just talking a little bit about um, what she's taken from that and maybe what we can take from our period of isolation over the next few um weeks or months or whatever that is so yeah it was a real joy and a real real lovely conversation and i hope you really enjoy it beautifully put i'll leave it to you okay let's see if we can do this Hi there. <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. The uh, realities of communicating in this new virtual world. <laughs> Love that magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess communicating for you, you know, communicating from the space station, you must be quite used to bad connections and and having to communicate from from afar. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've been thinking about that a little bit more recently, but uh, from station, actually the the ability to communicate is quite good. We have satellite, essentially satellite phones that allow us to call home pretty much anytime we want. And we work, we work to GMT up there. So it's like, it's like I'm over there living with you and calling around the world. But, um, but it's really very good as far as connectivity goes and the opportunity to, to speak. But you do have to deal a little bit differently when that's your primary means of communication, when you're not physically seeing somebody, when you're you know, trying to do what you would normally do remotely, really, and either as a video on a screen or just through the audio. It's it's interesting, but it works. It really works. Yeah, it's, and it's amazing. And I think actually our conversation comes at a really good time. I think this episode's actually going to be called Reflect. Um, because I think obviously you've had time to reflect and, you know, almost taking yourself away from Earth and reflecting back on it. And then also I think you know, I'm keen not to talk too much about Corona on this episode, but I think we're all going into a time of a bit more, well, hopefully a bit more reflection and, and kind of reflecting upon our 
well, I hope it can be used as a space to reflect upon our, our actions and maybe the way that we've treated the world over, you know, the the past few decades. Yeah. And, and <laughs> see it as an opportunity uh, and a challenge um, is what I'm sort of hoping will come from it. But we'll Yeah, I think so. I, and I think it's, it's like being on the station, uh, where you have the opportunity to speak this way. Uh, you know, I, people couldn't call me unless they were in mission control. You know, mission control can call us anytime they want. Uh, family and friends, I had to call them. So it, it was a choice, you know, and it was one I think you felt obligated to make, but also you wanted to. You wanted to share the experience you were having with people. You wanted to check in just on, you know, daily basis of what was going on in normal lives and, and, you know, you wanted to make sure everybody was safe and healthy, just like we are, like we are now. And, yeah, and it's certainly, um, you know, I'm so thankful for the way the communications were set up there, that, that we had the ability to do that. And on my first flight, there was still a little bit of a, a delay. It was kind of like the old long distance phone call where you'd say something and then you, you had to kind of give it a click, you know, okay, I'm going to run 1000 and then, you know, listen or answer. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was challenging a little bit until people got used to it. I mean, my mom, it was so funny with my mom that, that it, it's just something that that's hard to get used, it's hard to get used to, but when you do, it works. And, and then we had video conferences once a week, which were nice. And, um, and that's more and more of that can happen now. You know, I mean, my friends, I think about it like it's kind of the joke about walking uphill to school both ways. Back in the olden days, you know, when I flew versus my friends and colleagues that I see flying now where their family can take the iPad with them to the soccer game and show show the crew member on board what what's going on and, you know, real time versus having to be locked up in their dining room or conference you know, or office with the, wow, yeah. the physical setup. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You can have a real insight into people on Earth's lives as they're sort of going about their yeah. daily business. Wow, that's um, you get, that's really quite a strange concept, actually, the idea that even when you're out in the International Space Station, you, um, you're still not that far away from being connected to other people, which is pretty amazing, really, what humans have achieved. It's huge, and I think... It, you know, the space station really, you know, it's not like we were in outer space. I mean, I like to think of it as outer space. We were in outer space. But in the grand scheme of like going onto the moon or onto Mars or out into deep space, we, I, you know, our orbit is at 250 miles, 250 to 300 miles above the Earth. So, you know, the length of what, how long is the island? No, the Isle of Man's only 30 miles, right? Yeah, quite a few Isle of Man's. <laughs> so forget that, forget that. But you know, like, um, so, so 10 Isles of Man, yeah. Um, but, but it's not above us wise, it's not that far, except that we're traveling at 17,500 miles an hour and circling the planet every 90 minutes, which uh, really, with a, a perspective that, um, I don't know, when you talk about reflecting, it's just, it's interesting to me, and I think you've had these same experiences, I, you know, I won't presume, but I, I, I will assume, <laughs> is that when, you know, when you can separate yourself that way on a ship or on an airplane or on a space station and, you know, look at back at what you know to be your home and think about it in just a little bit different way, it's, it's amazing 
you know, the kind of, I would say, philosophical thoughts you can have about it. And, and it's not about something that's unreal. It's about the, the reality of it all that's so just intriguing and I think just, uh, you know, overwhelming a bit. And that we can be separated for something and just feel more connected to it than sometimes we do when we're right down in the middle of it. Yeah, that's the beauty, isn't it? And it's creating that space. And and in in reality, you know, we can create that space if we start to change that narrative of the way that we think about things, you know, in our own homes. And maybe maybe this situation is perfect for, for creating people's own space station or ship in the middle of the ocean you know we are becoming slightly more isolated for the next few months so hopefully it does invite a bit of that spacing because it's such an amazing gift to experience that and you kind of come back with this whole sort of new eyes and the way that you look at the world and the way that you interact with people and um for me being on you know on expedition it really gave me those new eyes and that and that sense of joy of, of life of of the earth and and it's that makes it really exciting what we're all about to go through because we're all going to go away for a period of isolation and, and you know distance from society and and um hopefully more of us can come out the other side with that sort of intention and um change so I think there's a lot of possibilities in it yeah I do too and I you know uh when you think about it it's I'm looking at this little phone this, this smartphone that I have that I'm recording our conversation and we are we are more connected than we ever have been in human history. I mean, literally, you can find any information you want. You can learn what's going on. There's, there's no reason to be ignorant of what's happening on the other side of the planet anymore. It's, it's right here. And yet, we haven't figured out how to, I don't know, utilize that from the standpoint of interconnectivity. And I think that's what this whole experience, that's what the experience of being on space station did certainly for me was to be able to look at the planet and say, oh my gosh, that, you know, whether it was watching the lightning strike and move from Florida over to Africa when growing up, I just thought that happened over the top of my head, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, or just the way the clouds were moving or the planet was rotating and, you know, thinking about, or that the fact that we live on a planet that's in this ginormous you know, void vacuum of space and that there's not a single thing that is inter interconnected in some way. And if we can use this, you know, this time of self-isolation and social distancing, you know, uh, in our own homes to just discover what's around us in a way that's, that opens it up for us, I think it's, it's kind of a beautiful gift, really, you know, to... I'm looking out my back window and I'm looking at this tree that has butterflies on it. And, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, I might notice that, but I wouldn't really sit here maybe and think about it in the grander scheme of things. And it's huge. I, I, it seems so simple. And maybe that's it, that these simple things are really, really huge. And yeah. you don't have to go to space to appreciate it. You don't have to go out on a ship to appreciate it. No. Um, because if we are, we're in a world where, we're, like you say, we're more connected than ever, but actually... We, I feel like it's almost too much, uh, much of an overload at the moment. We haven't quite figured out within us how to deal with that level of connection because we're not truly connecting with all that information that's coming towards us. And the, there has been a fear that, you know, almost being bombarded with so much information makes you sort of numb to a lot of the things that we're facing, a lot of the action we need to take. So hopefully this is a really 
wonderful period of reflection where we can actually figure out what's important and, and um, what we value and what, what we want to hold on to because, you know, things are likely to change. But actually we can think about, when we think about what actually we really value, they're often the things that are totally immaterial and the very simple things that are quite easy to take forward um, and really value. So I hope I hope that's a, a take home for people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, I really, I, I have faith that, uh, you know, I'm, I, I hope like you are a optimistic, realistic optimist, you know, that, um, that, you know, you can't ignore the facts around you, but it, you can be hopeful that people will take the action that's necessary. And, and I like the word and reflect on, you know, all of the stimulus that's coming at them and use it for the, for the greater good, perhaps. I mean, I, I know I, you know, on this, this phone here, I watch my son, he's 17 and I look at him I'm like, dude, I, I'm lift your head up every now and then, you know, you just almost tripped over this beautiful, <laughs> you know, flower or whatever. And, and it's because you're watching somebody else play a video game on, on your iPhone. And, um, and it's it's almost like we've self isolated that way, you know. We've we've isolated ourselves into these little machines that are opening the world up to us, but they're kind of I don't know, like putting this barrier up to what's immediately around us. So, yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think we're just a little bit overwhelmed with it right now, and have to figure out how to blend it with everything else versus being so focused on it. Yeah. When you think for you know hundred thousand years, we've we probably had to think about you know five five interactions per day and now and now we are you know or less and now we are getting thousands and thousands of different choices and interactions and stories and information and um but yeah so to go back to the beginning um and to introduce yourself uh to our wonderful listeners um i thought you could maybe just tell us a little bit about your journey and your your trip to the International Space Station and um, and I'd really love to go into a little bit sort of why you decided to become an astronaut or, or maybe it wasn't so much of a decision but maybe it sort of or, or the or the path that you sort of went on to pick to go on such an epic journey. Okay well I you know my name is Nicole Stott uh, that might be familiar to some um, Isle of Manners. Uh, <laughs> I it, the last name at least um, I grew up in Florida and I'm back in Florida. I am an artist. I'm an astronaut retired in the parentheses afterwards there. Um, and a mom and, and wife. And I was blessed with the opportunity to spend a little over 100 days um, living and working in space on the International Space Station. Uh, I think I can I take, take uh, claim as the first Manx astronaut. I like that one. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the adopted. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, 104 days in space, it's, it's a little bit difficult to think about it, uh, in terms of the reality of that. It seems very surreal. And that was over two missions. One that was, um, considered a long duration mission where I spent a little over three months and then a short duration shuttle flight to the station, which was two weeks long. And um, awesome. I, you know, I don't even know what to say about it other than that. It was awesome. Everything about it. Uh, I felt like, and I wouldn't have strapped on to 7 million pounds of um, exploding rocket 
fuel below me if I didn't think that it was worth doing, you know, that the work we're doing there really is ultimately about improving life here on earth. So um, I guess that's the short of it. Um, <laughs> and what's it like? I mean, what is it like to strap yourself to a rocket and go into space? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, it's, you know, you're, uh, I think you're anxious. I, I get the question a lot, were you afraid? Was it scary? And, uh, and that, that wasn't the feeling I was having at all. Maybe that's, um, maybe that's ignorant. I don't know. I, I wasn't feeling afraid. I was feeling very respectful. I was feeling very anxious to know what it was going to feel like uh, after training for so many years to do it. And, and when we train, I mean, we train most of our training is about all the stuff that we think can go wrong and how you'll deal with that. So I think when you finally get to the point of strapping in, you feel like along with your crew that you're, you're ready to deal with whatever is going to be humanly possible to deal with. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you've developed, um, this trust in the, the people that are putting this vehicle together for you. And I, I had the opportunity, was very fortunate before becoming an astronaut to have worked 10 years at the Kennedy Space Center as a NASA engineer uh, on the space shuttle. And so I knew these people and that they really, I mean, their, their job was a passion for them. They, they believed that the care and feeding of these spacecraft was their responsibility. So I don't think you can get any better people <laughs> to prepare it for you. Um, but you're anxious. You want to know what it's really going to feel like. And if there was any like fear it was more about it was more worry for my family and friends who I knew were watching me do this mm. because I'll tell you what it is a lot easier to to be the one strapping in than it is to be the one watching somebody you love strap in yeah I bet. <laughs> and I mean that happens for me when I watch my my friends you know I'm okay we're okay two minutes good we're through that okay you know you know all the the steps along the way of what's um, what's happening, and and then you're thankful when they get through it. So, um, yeah, but it's it's I don't. It's hard to describe. <laughs> it, it, it's the same when I came back from the expedition, and, and you kind of people ask you, and you, I kind of felt like my answer was always so lame. It was like, yeah, it was mm -hmm. awesome. It was great <laughs> because there's just not enough words to describe. Yeah, I mean, either you go into infinite detail, which nobody really wants to hear, or you go, or you'd go for the brand, you know, the awesome. Oh yeah, it was awesome. And everyone's like, hmm, it's a bit flat too. Well, you know, I think that word is okay in some ways. We use it so much, you mm -hmm. know, in our day to day lives now that I think that it's gotten a little. It's it's it, it doesn't get the credit it deserves because there are things that are awesome. And I, and I would say it, I mean, I'm looking out my window. There are things I'm looking right out my window at that are awesome and we should use the word. But uh, it, it's true. There's, there, <laughs> it's not lame. It's not lame. It's, but I think you can then, you can expand on it, you know? I, I'm sure the way the water felt and the, the smells of it. And I mean, that's one thing I remember, you know, both times I flew to space, both times on a space shuttle and both times I went to space on the space shuttle discovery. My first flight, I came home on Atlantis, but went on discovery. And there's things that you don't appreciate about it until you do it for real. And I mean, I'd been out to the launch pad a number of times um, with my job as an engineer and then as an astronaut, just going and looking at the space shuttle that, you know, on the launch pad out there. But on the day of launch, 
when you go out there and you get off the bus and you're in those orange suits, you know, they make your butt look really big and kind of <laughs> waddle in them as you're, you know, walking along trying to, you know, look like you're semi-normal walking in these things. And I mean, you get the chance to stand at the bottom of this, you know, like almost 300 feet above you is to the top of this with the launch pad and up to the top of the space shuttle. And it's like, it's alive. I mean, it's pulsing and the, um, there's like the steam coming out where it's, it's almost like it's breathing, kind of like a dragon would be, you know, (laughs) out its nose, like this, you know, the steam coming out and it's all, you get this sense like, okay, it's ready to go. And, um, and you look at it just in awe, like uh, awe of the fact that this vehicle can safely take you to space. Um, you know, there's the wonder of that. And then, I mean, I remember looking up and all of us just standing there looking at the sky. <laughs> and I think that was the first point where I realized, wow, you know, that doesn't go on forever. That blue that protects us is really very thin. <laughs> and this spaceship's going to take us through that today. And that's, you know, just getting out of this gravity that Earth holds us here with is is. Uh, I mean, a ginormous task for this spaceship to do, and we're going to punch through that today, together. And that's pretty incredible. Wow, I can't even imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And how many people were on the space station? How many people were on your mission? So the normal crew size for space station is six, and on the space shuttle I went up with, five crewmates. So there were six of us on the shuttle. And then when we got to the station, there were six crew there. So we had a total of 12 for a while on the space station. And then um, they dropped me off and took home my crewmate, um, Tim Copra, who'd been up there for a little over a month. He he was ready to go home and I was getting up there. And uh, I lived with a crew of six for the three months that I was there. And then came home on a space shuttle with another crew of six. <laughs> six seems to be the number. I think we'll yeah. be increasing soon, but it seems to be the number. And um, and it's amazing. You know, people seem to think that it's this tiny little space on the station. And it's giant. I mean, it's huge. It's like the interior volume of a six-bedroom house, a big one. Wow. And, I mean, when you think about it, we're really in our two-dimensional world the way we move around and stuff we're restricted to the floor right yeah (laughs) you know up there I mean look around in your house or in your office or you know wherever you are and imagine that you could just gently push off of whatever surface and you could be up on the ceiling or on the side wall or wherever and using all of the volume and it just seems so much bigger when that's possible yeah, and I'm looking get, around my room yeah. now and thinking, wow, it just makes the space so much bigger if I could actually jump yeah. up onto the, <laughs> onto the ceiling. Yeah, and... work off the ceiling, yeah. So how do you sleep? So t- tell us a bit about your, you know, the day-to-day life on a, on a space station. Do you, how do you sleep? Do you have to strap yourself into sleep and, and eat? <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, it's all, it's all so good. I, I like to think of all these things like part of the adventure. I mean, I'm sure you experienced it too on the ship, you know. It was different, and it was good that it was different. You know, you didn't want everything to be exactly like it was going to be when you're at home. It, it should be adventurous and, and different. And 
Uh, everything about living in space is a little bit different and it has its challenges, but then that balances out with like the ease of so many other things. And uh, I would say the biggest challenge is keeping track of your stuff because everything floats and if you don't <laughs> stick it to something, it's going to be gone and you know, the little piece parts to build things are going to go in every different direction. Uh, but you know, you, you float too and that is... I don't know, it's such a liberating thing. And I mean, I remember growing up, up to the point of, of getting to space um, and having these dreams where, you know, of flying, of running and jumping and then being able to fly. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And, and after flying in space, actually after getting to space, I've never had that dream ever again. Because I think my body knows what that feels like. It's, it's experienced it in some way, so I don't have to like struggle with it now, right? And, um, but sleeping in space is one of those things. We, you could float anywhere you want to sleep, but it's not recommended <laughs> because you, know, you could float into things and you know, hurt yourself or hurt the equipment or get your hair snagged on some big piece of Velcro, which wouldn't feel good. And, so we use sleeping bags and um, on the space station we have private crew compartments so um, about the size of one of those red phone booths you know the old red phone booths and and each of it it's a perfect amount of space to to stick your sleeping bag up on the wall and then you have all of your other stuff stuck to the wall or stuck to the floor and the ceiling and um and it's a beautiful amount of space. It's, it's perfect. And I would get into my sleeping bag at night. You kind of float in. And, um, and every now and then I would flip it around so it would seem like I was hanging upside down, even though you don't get any sense of hanging upside down. <laughs> Your head doesn't tell you. You don't get that feeling of, oh, I'm standing on my head too long. You just feel that same way all the time. Um, no sense of, of up or down. Yeah, I was going to say, because when you, a lot of the comfort and a way of, of lying down and going to sleep is is that feeling of kind of weight off your feet and and the weight of you of you lying horizontally and that just must not be there that is not there but i'll tell you it is the best sleep i've ever had in my entire life because there's no once you find your spot i mean it took me a couple days to find what's the spot you know the configuration I want my sleeping bag to be in and my legs to be bent and you know where I want my head in the bag and all that kind of thing (laughs) and my arms do I want them floating or do I want them inside the bag you know that kind of thing once I got that figured out oh my gosh it was amazing I would get in float into the sleeping bag shut my little crew compartment door play a sudoku puzzle for a few minutes you know stick it up on the wall light off and I, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would say within five minutes I was out and I did not wake up or move until the alarm went off, whether that was the alarm I'd set for myself or some emergency alarm going off in the middle of the night. I mean, it was that good. Wow. Who yeah. knew? Like sleeping on a cloud. I know. <laughs> uh, exactly. You know, and it does take a little getting used to, you know, because we do have that. And a lot of people through their entire mission, they need the, they have this strap kind of thing on the sleeping bag. It's a really soft like strap that you can put across your forehead that kind of pulls your head back to the bulkhead or the wall to make you kind of simulate the, that your head is on a pillow. 
and um, and a lot of people need that. I found I I tried it. I didn't need it, and so I just didn't use it. But um, yeah, we try to accommodate too for those earthly feelings that you you might still need while you're up there. Yeah. Wow. And um, so, I'm, am I right in thinking that the that your colleagues that you worked with are fr were from all all over the world? They weren't they weren't just American. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the best things about the the International Space Station program. I mean, and we tend to forget what the I stands for. I, actually, my husband um, Chris says sometimes it's the or the Invisible Space Station because so. Few people know about it. Everybody should know about it. You know, it's it's I, it's the way I love your line, making the unseen seen. It's so important that we know what's going on up there. And um, yeah, fifteen countries are the official official partners. Are you know five space agencies: NASA, Roscosmos from Russia, JAXA from Japan, European Space Agency, which has you know eleven of those countries. I think eleven or twelve, and then Canada. And um, that somehow, peacefully, successfully, for in November will be 20 years, have worked up there for, I would say, the greater good of humanity. It's pretty incredible. And then we've had visitors from other, you know, from other countries too. Um, so the number's higher than 15, but um, it's really pretty cool. And, and whenever there's a crew of six or, or more up there, um, all six of those crew members, regardless of which countries they're from, are representing all of those countries as one single crew working together. Sometimes with a Russian commander, sometimes with a European commander. When I was there, Frank Devino was the first European commander. He's from Belgium. And yeah, it's, it's pretty cool how we can make <laughs> that happen when we have a, a common mission that we all believe in. Yeah. Do you think spending time, I mean, obviously... The people that are going up into the International Space Station are scientists and engineers, and but do you think actually spending time on the space station and, and looking back on Earth kind of brings the? I don't know. I'm just. I don't really know how I'm trying to voice what I'm trying to say, but I'm just thinking about that idea of actually working together and and how small the planet is. And I mean, when we're down here, we we get so stuck with borders and boundaries and nationalities and and it, does that sort of dissolve itself once you're once you're up there it does and we have those conversations all the time actually i i think a um a conversation that happens with every crew at one point along the way while we're all like our heads are bouncing together in front of the window um looking back at earth is man wouldn't it be great if all the world leaders could get their heads up here <laughs> you know, and bounce around a little bit, looking out the window at, at the planet, that, that reality of who and where we all are together, that interconnectivity we talked about, it's in your face. You can't deny it. I mean, it's just there. And so you do reflect on that a lot while you're there. And I can tell you, um, I have reflected on that a lot since coming home. And it, it, I don't know, it morphs over time in the way I get just even more and more goodness from that experience um, and I find myself with simpler ways of describing it and and all of us I think that have had these kind of experiences um, have our own ways maybe of sharing it but I mean for me the 
the way I try to explain it now is that the reality of who and where we are, this idea that of these things we all know that we learn when we're probably six years old, it's just starting in school, or maybe even before, that we live on a planet. <laughs> I mean, we are all earthlings, and when it comes to borders, the only one that matters is that thin blue line of atmosphere that blankets and protects us all. And those three things, there is not a day goes by now that I am not thinking about them actively or subconsciously somehow in, in the decisions I make and the conversations I have with people and just trying to share, share that so that everybody else figures out how to have, I call it Earthrise moment, how to have that Earthrise moment themselves, you know, to, to really have that reality sink in. Yeah, wow. And and you've you've got got a fantastic project, haven't you? Because am I right in thinking you you've told me that you're the you were the first astronaut to paint in space? Well, I claim watercolors. Watercolor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I know that for a fact. Um, I I don't ever like saying the first is something because it's you know somewhere along the way. Oh no, somebody else did that. You just didn't know about it. And and I do have a, a friend, a colleague. Um, Richard Garriott, who flew as a spaceflight participant, and he took up some acrylic paints, and he flew before I did, and he wanted to see how paint would just behave in space. So he put these paints in a like plastic box and put the paper in there, and whatever the paint did, it did. So, oh wow! Um, I would call that I would call that painting too a little bit Jackson Pollocky, I would say, <laughs> you know, inside the inside the thing. So very cool. So there had been paint up there before somebody had used it. I would call that painting. So to me. Um, I know I did the first watercolor in space, and um, and that was, I don't know, to me it was just putting the human in human space flight. Yeah. You know, to be able to do something like that <laughs> in space was pretty cool. And, I, I mean, I always say that, um, for me, obviously working in an environmental field, I'm so keen to get that message across that it's not just science and, and engineering mm -hmm. and technology that needs to be in these fields and in these conversations you know art and creativity and design uh, and music are so important in in, um, in all this work that we're trying to promote to build connection with the earth um, absolutely I mean I think it's the way we communicate best with like humanity is is through art and music and um, creative pathways it's um it allows us to establish that relationship with somebody, you know, and I think about it like with my own artwork, I really don't care if people like my art or not, you know, to me, the, the significance in it is, wow, if I could use it to share the experience and they could look at it and say, well, I like it or I don't like it. It gives me the opportunity to share the backstory with them. Like, oh, that, you know, that was this view of this little chain of islands on the Northern coast of Venezuela called Las Rocas. And, you know, um, I saw that from the space station and, oh, did you know we have this international space station and there's 15 different countries working together and here's the kind of work we do. And I mean, it really, I mean, it brings it to life for them in a, in a totally relatable way. And, and then they're the ones that are off with their iPhone or their phones, I could say that, their phones with the app, you know, spot the station or ISS tracker and they want to know where it is and, and what it's about. And then the other thing that I love that you just said is it isn't just about scientists and engineers and 
um, you know, the technical side of it. It's not, that's why I say human and human spaceflight, because, you know, you start putting people in space and they want to do human things. <laughs> and that's more than just the work that's going on on the ship. It's expressing themselves. It's experiencing it. And, and it's this desire we have to share it. And that's been going on since the very first space flight. Um, whether it was just through voice, you know, Gagarin talking about how incredibly beautiful the earth is. And, um, and my dogs are about to start barking because the guy just came in the backyard. <laughs> All right, here she comes. Um, ladybug. That's, that's loud. <laughs> All right, let me just do it for a sec. I know. Shh, puppy. Puppy, it's your yard guy. It's the yard guy. That's a good girl. That's a good girl. Anyway, but yeah, so the, the, the first people to fly in space were thinking about how do I communicate this with, with my friends and family. You know, Gagarin was speaking about how, how beautiful it is, how we need to respect it, how, you know, really, how we've gone to space and we've discovered Earth. And, and that's continued since that time. And there have been artists and musicians there the entire time, too. And, um, you know, from the first drawing that was done by uh, Alexei Leonov, cosmonaut, who, you know, is a wonderful artist, sadly passed away a little while ago. And um, our friend Alan Bean, who was Apollo 12, like fourth person to walk on the moon, um, retired from NASA and art full-time, magnificent, <laughs> you know, reflections on his time and other astronauts' time on the moon. There's been musical instruments up there since the very beginning. You know, on the space station right now, there's a keyboard and a guitar and a flute and... Oh, wow. I don't know. We make drums out of other things and, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. And you've actually given... Um you know, hundreds of children the opportunity to have their artwork in space, haven't you, through your um, Space for Art Foundation? Yeah, that's, you know, that, just stepping back a little, you know, I get this question, oh, Nicole, this, this question makes me very sad. How, how can anything you do now be better than flying in space? You know, like, like life is over because you're not going to space. Well, I don't say ever again, because who knows. But um, <laughs> because you've done this astronaut thing, you've gone to space, how could anything be better? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a 17-year-old son. I'm, you know, I'm so looking forward to seeing what he does with his life. And, you know, I, I mean, to me, it's about, okay, how do I take that experience and now create a new mission out of it, you know, that that's possibly even better, I would argue is better. And, um, and that's the, the Space for Art Foundation has fallen out of that. I mean, I'm bringing, get this opportunity to bring together what I love, you know, space and art, and, and then working with these children all over the world. Um, our last project, we had kids from, you know, hospitals and refugee centers and some schools in over 45 countries that participated in this project. And yeah, we're, you're, we're bringing together their art and we do these large scale, um, we call them global community art projects. And it's all about, you know, space art and healing. And we have partners like with uh, ILC Dover's, uh, uh, the company that makes our real spacesuits. They have volunteered to, in some of the projects, the, the more recognized ones are the, the art spacesuits that we've done. And, you know, each of the, the kids' pieces of art is sewn together into these art spacesuits. And 
we've gotten a couple of them up to the space station and back and and then we've gotten artwork up there virtually too because you can't send everything physically up there and um, but yeah our goal is to have kids from and the Isle of Man has participated um, we've Amazing. got kids from the Isle of Man I don't know it's just a it's another way of getting people to think about themselves as earthlings too to recognize that you know it's not just them isolated in this place that they are at any given time but they're part of this you know this planetary community as well yeah that's the beauty of it imagine creating a a piece of artwork that's going to sit alongside another piece of artwork that could be from some you know anywhere all over the world and um together that goes on a journey up to the space station it's just such a beautiful way of of harboring that connection and that feeling of togetherness with everybody else on this planet. I love it. I think it's such a beautiful idea. And the kids get it. It's, it's, you know, some of these kids, most of the ones that we work with, you know, sadly are in a place that you hope and, and a time in their lives where they're going through something that you hope is the worst thing they ever have to deal with in their entire life. Right. And, you know, you bring, space in it's amazing how inspirational the idea of space exploration and just space itself or when you start talking about earth as a planet in space and you know get people to start thinking about themselves as crew members instead of passengers and you know all those kinds of what you could have really deep philosophical conversations about as adults and these kids get it <laughs> they start talking to you you know, they're, they, they transcend, thankfully, this experience they're having in the hospital or, or the refugee center, and they, they start thinking about their own futures. And they, they're using space as a way to, to make that connection to what they could do in their own lives. And then they'll go on and talk to you about how, uh, yeah, this one little girl tell me, oh, Miss Nicole, you know, what you do as an astronaut, it's a lot like when I'm here and have to stay in the hospital for my treatments. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what do you mean? You know, and I just keep painting with her, you know, and smiling and, you know, have her continue. And she's like, yeah, you know, you don't get to see your family and friends the same way. And you have to eat all different kinds of food and they're doing all kinds of tests on you and your body's changing. And, and, you know, I think there's something, don't you guys have to deal with radiation too? And it's just, like, how in the world did that come out of this eight-year-old, you know? Wow. <laughs> and it makes you realize that <clears throat> these kinds of things we're doing with them in the hospitals and these places are exactly the kind of thing we're going to have to do as human beings when we do get in a spaceship and travel farther you know, from Earth than we ever have before. You know, when we, we cross that line in space where we don't see Earth as the beautiful, colorful planet anymore, we see it as a dot of light. And we don't have that visual connection. And I think it's what we're dealing with right now, you know, when we're in our own homes and we've, we've taken our, you know, the world around us has now come down to, you know, the walls of our house and our backyard, or maybe the grocery store if we get the opportunity to run there real quick. But I mean, it's, it's and how do you use that to um you know create goodness out of it too yeah exactly and I love that I love the idea you touched on it very briefly about um people realizing that they are a crew member rather than a passenger yeah I just think that that's that's so key isn't it I mean and it's so simple isn't it? it isn't it you know I mean it's so simple and it's not a new idea you know 
Buckminster Fuller and, and people before him had used this this idea of, you know, Earth as a spaceship, spaceship Earth and you know, we need to figure out the operating system. We just don't have that yet. And, um, you know, and how we behave like crew. I, I mean, I'm fairly certain you dealt with that on your ship, you know, <laughs> as you're sailing through the ocean. It's like, if, if you guys all just like behave like passengers, nothing would happen. And you probably wouldn't have made it back. Yeah. Or you wouldn't have been happy when you did. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, there's a, there's an aspect of joy that goes along with it too. And, and it's not just for you, it's for everybody that's that's riding along with you. Yeah, and often p- people can feel so, like they are floating through space um, and you know have so little control over their destiny or, um, of what, or what's happening in the world. And actually, once you realize that you are a crew member and you have a role to play, I mean, I, I find the idea really grounding and um really really reassuring you know it's maybe not everything's up to you but you definitely have a role to play in 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 the future that you want to create exactly and I think that's what it's all about isn't it is is kind of it's kind of like lifting your head up from the phone and saying okay what reality do I want to see around me and and realizing that the impact you can have I mean, I think about it from my my own backyard. I mean, if I can do things that are better for the environment in my own backyard, maybe my neighbor will see me doing that or I can talk to them about it. And it becomes not just this personal, you know, independent, isolated action. It becomes something that you can start to share with your community or your family. And, um, and it's true, you know, not one of us is going to make the, the single change that's going to improve it for, for everyone. But without all of us <laughs> doing those individual things, it, it'll never happen. And, and it, it takes every one of us. And when you're on a crew, in a crew of six on a space station where, um, quite honestly, the thin metal hull, I like to think of that as like this great analog for our thin blue line of atmosphere, I mean, every single one of us is acutely aware of the integrity of the hull of our spaceship. And we have to be, because without it, you die. You know, without the, the, the clean water and the clean air inside and maintaining that, you die. So we are acutely aware of how much CO2 is in our atmosphere every day. And we have to manage it or we die. And that, that spaceship in space, <laughs> The way we live and work and manage that there, it's, it's, and I realize it's huge order of magnitude, but that's the way we need to think about how we're living and working inside of this, you know, thin blue line here on this planet. And every one of us has a job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And as this is the sort of ocean making waves podcast, is it, what's it like looking at the vast blue oceans when you're out in space. I mean, I, I've heard people say that it really is the blue planet. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it is a blue planet. <laughs> and, you know, you, as you would float by a window, I just remember, you know, anytime, you know, you'd float by a window, of course, your head's going to pop into it and, and see what's out there. I mean, if you wanted to wager, um, it was going to be blue ocean in some way or water coming or having just gone is what you were going to see. And it's incredible. I mean, there's blues that I didn't even know existed, you know, by looking at just the clarity and the iridescence and, 
you know, and I mean, remember trying to describe to my son who was seven when I flew the first time what it was like to see Earth from space. And, um, and I told him, I'm like, just, you know, take, imagine the brightest light bulb you've ever seen and you just splattered it with all the colors that you know Earth to be and you turn it on and it's so bright you almost can't look at it because it's just so crystal clear and glowing and you know it just almost doesn't seem real and and then you kind of adjust your eyes adjust and you can you know take it all in and it's it's incredible the pictures and the video are getting so much better but it's still it's like our eyes and our hearts like take it in in a totally different way and then our brain processes it in this totally different way um, to what we see through pictures and videos and and I think that's where we struggle, you know, as the as the astronaut or as the the aquanaut or the the sailor or the you know when we're the mountain climber when we're having these experiences ourselves how do we really really other than using words like awesome and surreal and overwhelming and blah 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 how do we convey that to people, and that's why I think art is so cool too is that it might not look exactly yeah. like it but you can put your own interpretation into it and then and then try with words yeah it's that you're putting you're putting yourself and your experience into that artwork and I think that's what I've kind of realized is that it's affected you for the rest of your life I suppose so when you are having conversations even if you're not having conversations about that particular topic it's it's almost the energy that you've experienced doing that it, it translates over the you know every time you have a conversation with someone it maybe not always you might know you're having yeah, a bad day yeah. but but yeah just that energy transfer and that warmth and that experience and I guess for me that's why I try you know always have to remember what how lucky you've been to have experienced that and never take that for granted and and, and kind of use it to communicate with people even if it's hard to communicate about certain topics but yeah, I mean, I think that's so important, you know, in the grand scheme it is to realize just, I mean, I think about how blessed and lucky, <laughs> lucky is, is, a, is a really good word for, you know, having been able to have this opportunity. And I mean, I interviewed, when I interviewed the first time for astronaut selection, and I, I didn't get picked the first time I interviewed, and, um, and I remember going into that you know, even the decision to apply was really difficult for me. It took a long time to decide to even apply because I just second guessed myself the whole way, right? <laughs> why would why would why would they ever pick me? You know, and oh, the astronaut—that's a job other special people get to do. They'll you know they'll never pick me. And finally, taking the encouragement of mentors to just pick up the pen and apply again—a place where we have total control. You know. You know, here's something you have total control of and you're not going to do it, right? <laughs> yep. And then, and then going through this interview process with, for NASA, they'll bring in like groups of 20 and um, take you through different things. And, you know, then you do your one-on-one -on -one interview. But I mean, I remember looking around at me, at, at all these people and thinking, okay, Nikki, you don't stand a chance. These people are, they're doing like cutting edge science and they're the, the latest and greatest in whatever field they're in and stuff. And so just enjoy, you know, the experience and, um, and then getting selected the, the second time around, I'm wondering how on earth did that happen? And then realizing that, oh my gosh, it happened. And now you have got to, you've got to do your absolute best at everything you do with this. You've got to never, never 
forget how special this is. And, you know, and now where I am out in life with it, it's like, not for my own memory either. I mean, I, I love talking about this stuff because it allows me to like, remember that it was real, but people need to, to hear about it for all different kinds of reasons, whether it's the little girl in, you know, fifth grade who's second guessing herself, or it's, you know, somebody at university who's deciding what they want to do in life or, or, you know, or someone who just needs to, you know, have a better sense of who and where they are, where they are in life. Um, there's so many reasons and so many ways that we can, through our own experiences, help someone else. Um, that I think we that we're just obligated to do it, and we should be thankful. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so just to finish up, I guess if you, I mean, we we've talked about it broadly, I guess, over this conversation. But if you had any key messages to to people listening to the podcast from somebody who's had such a wonderful opportunity to look. At and reflect on the earth yeah. from afar. Um, <laughs> well, what would they be? Well, we talked about it a little bit, but I think, you know, for most things, um, it's really trying to take what's really complex and look at it in the simplest way. And, you know, there's no doubt. We, the way we get to space, the way we can live and work in space on the spaceship, you know, that we've essentially done our best, this life support system in space that we've done our best to mimic what Earth does naturally for us. You know, to live and work there, that's a complex thing. To do the science we do there is complex. To get home safely is really complex. But in the end, you know, the, the simple lessons are that, you know, we live on a planet, we are all Earthlings, and the only border that matters is that thin blue line of atmosphere. And, and that's, that's what I want people to take away from, um, from what I've um, learned is that it is those simple things. And <clears throat> we all can incorporate those in a meaningful way into our lives. Um, and then I, I guess I'd go back to um, the crew versus passenger thing as well. You know, I get asked, oh, what was it like to be in space? We are all in space. <laughs> that's where that whole you know that whole planet thing comes in but we don't we don't get to to reflect on that that much but i would say you know look up i mean think about this blue sky that we seem to think goes on forever and imagine know that it doesn't and then at night oh my gosh the isle of man dark skies take advantage of it it's such a wonderful place to to get that sense of awe from to to use the night sky to to feel like who and where you are on this planet. And then with the, the making waves, <laughs> I guess, you know, the one thing we really didn't touch on, we talked about painting in space and, um, but my, my painting is called The Wave. Uh, and it's uh, based on a picture I took of that little chain of island called Las Rocas um, that's on the Northern coast of Venezuela. It's a teeny tiny chain of islands. And when I remember looking at it through the window and thinking, oh my gosh, it was like somebody had reached their hand down already and taken a paintbrush and painted a wave on the surface of the ocean. And it just, it struck me, you know, from the time I saw it. And when I was thinking about what am I going to paint 
you know, while I'm up here, that was it. That was it. So I searched for that picture, you know, in all of my paintings and or all my, my pictures I had taken and, and printed it out on this scrap sheet of paper and uh, on station and painted at night um, before going to bed. And, you know, as you can imagine, you can't look out the window and paint what you're seeing out the window real time because at five miles a second, it's gone before you can get the brush to the paper. But uh, I could use that image of it and... And it has been, honestly, that wave has been the inspiration for everything I've done since retiring from NASA. For making the decision to use art as a way to communicate the experience, um, both personally and along with the work we're doing with the Space for Art Foundation. Um, it's been the, the greatest gift, I think, that I, that I got from that whole time, along with the planet Earthling Thin Blue Line. Um, I, I would say that's my rambling way of wrapping it up, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, and it was great to catch up again. Yeah, absolutely. Really I look it. forward to my next visit to the beautiful Isle of Man. Um, yes, hopefully not too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I really do. Um, it's a very special place. I hope everybody there realizes what a, what a, a, a gift, a gift it is too, and how we can look at and and the wonderful things that are going on on the island right now that are such. I, I think about it like the space station. It's like, you know, we've done these things in space, working together, 15 countries, all the science, all of it that's about improving life on Earth, you know, life for humanity on the planet. And the things that, that you're working on and um, even through this podcast, the, the organizations that are right there on the Isle of Man doing things that could just, again, be, yep, order of magnitude, but just scaled up to, to the whole planet. It's kind of like the island in the middle of the Irish Sea could be this example for Earth as this planet in the middle of the sea of space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you chatting to me. It's, it was really great. I'm really looking forward to the, to the episode. So now just... Yeah, I look forward to see what you guys put together of all yeah. my rambling blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, it was perfect. Short answer. <laughs> it was my first. Okay. All right. Have okay. a great rest of your day and stay home.